Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, and welcome my guest this week, Erin. Now, I haven't even checked the pronunciation. Perigo? How do I go? Perigo, right? yes, that's correct. Uh-huh. Uh, I was just saying uh, off air that I feel like I know you really well. We've kind of been connected on Facebook for a few years now, uh, yeah. read a lot of your stuff, and um, yeah, very much looking forward to it, even though we've just actually met face-to-face for the first time 10 minutes ago. Really exciting. Very exciting. It's very nice to speak with you and to um, connect in this way. I'm so grateful that you invited me on. I really appreciate it and I'm excited to see what comes up tonight. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. So we were talking also off air and you, you were talking, you talked about in the bio about your journey of a diagnosis for your seven year old daughter mm-hmm. and you deciding you were going to go down a away from mainstream medicine and I was saying that that must have taken tremendous courage given the pressure that you may have received and that's what I would love to hear more about like by going on that path what was the backlash from friends family and whatever and you know whoever else was part of your world at that time yeah so um what happened with my daughter I have three children um, my middle daughter is the one that inspired me to become a coach through her journey. She's now 14. Um, but when she was five, my father passed away pretty suddenly. And what, um, you know, we were all experiencing grief and hers was extreme. She started having severe mood and behavior issues. She wasn't sleeping well. She was sleepwalking. She was throwing tantrums that at times looks a lot like PTSD to me, but I didn't know why that would be. Um, She developed tics like you'd see with Tourette. She was seeing spiders and flies that weren't there. So hallucinations, um, anxiety, depression, and a lot for a little kid to be going through. And at first we took her to grief counselors and, you know, checking in with our doctor and asking a lot of questions and eventually being told, well, you know, possibly she's schizophrenic and here's this medication that you can give her. And my mother's intuition was screaming at me, do not medicate your seven-year-old. And around the same time, her dad um, started doing CrossFit and CrossFit and the paleo diet kind of go hand in hand. And so he came home and is like, hey, let's try this. And I started reading all about microbiome and gut health, about food sensitivities, about inflammation. And I started asking a lot of questions. And I got a lot of pushback from her pediatrician about these questions. You know, oh, no, it couldn't be food sensitivities. That's not how they show up. Oh, no, it couldn't be her gut health. She's not having digestive issues. And we incorporated the paleo diet at home at the time. And then I got pushback for not my kids aren't drinking milk and we're not eating the normal way and different things like that. And um, over time, we found functional medicine. So we actually got her tested and discovered she was sensitive to several different foods and had leaky gut syndrome and was very vitamin and mineral deficient. And sitting in that functional medicine doctor's office was the first time anyone had listened to me. Um, I went in and I'm listing, you know, the story of all these things we've gone through and the doctor's like, I like you, you do your research. I think you're right. Now let's go prove it. And so what had happened with my daughter is that at three days old, she contracted a MRSA infection in the hospital. It's um, drug resistant staph. 
And so she was on two IV and an oral antibiotic at three days old, but they also couldn't get her IV in at the hospital we were at. And so by the time we could go see her, she was black and blue from head to toe. They had blown out all her veins. So when you think about, um, I talk a lot about trauma with my clients and on my social media, we think of trauma as these big things that happen in life, like a really, really big car accident or an assault or going to war. We don't think of things that cause us stress or even things that happen like medical procedures as trauma, but it had rewired her nervous system basically. And so her symptoms are really coming from two different places. Well, three different places. Um, Her leaky gut from the antibiotics early on, from the trauma that she had gone through by being three days old, brand new to the world, and oh my gosh, I'm being attacked. Why am I being attacked? Yeah. Um, to her little body, it's like the bear is eating me. Why is the bear eating me in her nervous system, that fight or flight response? And then energetic. We went to functional medicine, neurofeedback, and then eventually to energy medicine to help her heal. And now she is a spunky, sassy middle child, plays soccer, straight A student. She's artistic. She's bright. She's very intuitive, um, doing really, really well. Oh, tingles. Yeah. Um, the, I took so much from that. But one of them is something that I've read so many different times from mums. The doctors told us that this was okay, but something within me, yeah. within that mum instinct was saying, no, you need to do more. Yeah. And by the stories of how they pushed and pushed and pushed to get another diagnosis, which which helped, or they didn't trust their gut and didn't and are now living with the, the regret of that. Yeah. So if you don't mind me going there, uh, you, when you talked about the, the loss of your dad, I, I felt that there was still some unresolved pain there from you, maybe not from specifically linked to your dad, but maybe around the impact that that had through that whole time. Do do you think that, well, two things, do you think that the grief for your daughter brought on more of that illness and, and what else sort of still shows up for you in that, with that memory? Oh goodness. My dad passing, he passed September, 2012. And that's where my spiritual journey really began. That's what really woke me up, not just through the journey for my daughter's health, but just for myself, like looking around the world and watching him go through. Um, He passed of lung cancer. He was a smoker, but just the way he was treated in the hospital and the procedures and the you know, the things that weren't investigated and the questions I would ask that they didn't have answers to. I'm like, the world doesn't work the way I thought it did. The system doesn't work the way I thought it did. And then just in my family structure, I come from a very dysfunctional family, um, which has also been one of my inspirations for getting into trauma healing and and emotional health. Um, For my daughter, Yes, I kind of picture her body on a tight wire, a tightrope, like in the circus, and the stress of losing my dad pushed her over the edge. Her system just could not handle anymore. Yeah, wow. Um, really interesting that that was my awakening as well when my dad passed away in mm-hmm. 2005. Uh, I don't know if you had a similar experience or whether the, the illness of your daughter really sped up the process, but for me, I was like, I had a whole lot of questions. Mm-hmm. like same sort of thing around well why, why would that be he didn't drink he didn't smoke and he got problems with his lungs yeah so all different sort of questions about health and but it took me it took me a fair while to actually move forward though so uh probably about four or five years before i started asking some decent questions that got me some decent results so what was your experience like well you said it was an awakening process but like yeah how did that unfold Yeah, um, we were there when my dad passed. And so I held his hand as he crossed over and just being that's such a sacred space to be in. And I think in our culture, we've lost touch with that. We don't have a lot of touch 
with death. Like we're almost afraid of it. We do all these medical procedures and we prolong life. We're not on farms or with animals where we watch the birthing and the dying process like we were maybe just even 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And so just being in that space for me was just like, I can't even describe. It was just such a sacred experience. And I did start asking questions almost immediately. Like it, it, like glass shattering all around me. Like my worldview was just completely altered. And there was a lot of stuff going on within my family. And then my daughter, it was two weeks after my father passed. She had her first night terror and she'd never had one before. And I remember in that moment, she came screaming out of her bedroom and literally crawled up my husband up his shoulders and was sitting on top of him, just terrified. And I was like, hmm, this is different. Something has switched with her. I just knew it in the moment. And so very quickly, my world shifted gears and it became my full-time job. Really, I w- we were trying to think 10 steps ahead of her so that she wouldn't go into these PTSD-like meltdowns or reactions. She was having social issues with friends. And I was just like, why? Why is she acting? You know, what, what is going on inside of her? So I asked questions very early on. Mm. Um, what you talked about there, the, the, the birthing and dying process, mm-hmm. still... Uh, ancient cultures and um, a lot of like if I think about the the indigenous cultures in Australia and New Zealand that I'm familiar with they they still do like really meaningful and and deep processes when someone passes and we roll it into a one-hour funeral and think that's enough right exactly I have friends who are are have are working on becoming or are death doulas and that process of, you know, helping people end their life well, instead of trying to prolong life, but end it well, um, is so important, I think. Mm. I'm fascinated to dig in this position because uh, into this space, because um, this is something that, that I had cleared in me probably six years ago, this, this thing around dying. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but the my my subconscious belief was I wouldn't be dying. So so I wasn't prepared to face, like I wasn't able to move forward quickly because I thought I had forever. That was one of them. But it's also, as you continue to peel back those layers, you get to the point where it's like, I'm sure there'll still be moments of fear, but I don't fear the concept of death anymore. Like yeah. I'm going to keep doing what I do because I know the impact. And it's amazing how you just get a certain knowing well, it's not going to happen now anyway, just yeah. from that whole process. Um, what what have you learned about for the, through your journey of coaching and healing about that concept of people's fear around death and maybe what will happen after or, or how they then live with that fear leading up, leading up to seeing you? Mm, what a good question. It's interesting we've gone down this path because this isn't something I really deal with much in my coaching. But um, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, the emotional health and our um, aversion to what many people think of as negative emotions are very interrelated because people are scared. They're scared of like darkness and shadow and the unknown. And it's so uncomfortable to be angry or to be sad or to be grieving. And so in many ways and in, in many personal growth and development, you know, tools, it's like, well, let's become positive. Let's be higher vibe. Let's, you know, get ourselves out of that. And my work is so much about sitting with the discomfort and doing the shadow work and really being with and learning how to move those emotions through You know, I think of emotion as energy in motion. It's just something there to, it's it's a messenger from your system, from your organism, your body, your spirit saying, hey, pay attention to this. Just tune into this for a little while. 
And if you pay attention to me, I won't stick around forever, but I want to be paid attention to. And we're so scared of that unknown with death, really. And in my own spiritual, like the way I see the world now, I'm like, I've, I've done this a few times. I'll probably do this a few more times. And so there's certain things to learn in this lifetime, but whatever is after this, is probably 10 times more beautiful than where we're at now. <laughs> and I just don't, and watch, watching my father transition and, and so many people who are with their loved ones or with people when they're dying, he connected to something. He was watching something, someone greet him. Um, it was obvious that he was no longer paying attention to us around him. And he was paying attention to this other thing. And he just looked so peaceful. And so I take that with me mm. about that. Um, I just got tingles the whole way through that last part, Aaron. Um, oh, where to go from there? Uh, I have so, so many thoughts and questions. The one that's coming up for me that, that I thought about before when you were talking about it, where I was at in my level of uh, woundedness, I guess, mm -hmm. in that, in that um, room, the um, whatever, whatever the ward is where people are extremely ill, the, the name's escaping me at the moment, but you know what I mean? Um, yes. I was, because my dad was dying, we were in there saying goodbye. Yeah. And I was more worried about us upsetting the other families who maybe they still have hope. Like, mm. why, why would I think that? But that's where my brain uh -huh. was going, right? Because of yeah. so, like, externally focused and so worried about not upsetting people and, and what you talked about with the emotions. It's so true. We it sounds like we do very similar work mm -hmm. is helping people. It's actually not scary. We think it's scary to dive into these dark emotions when we are taken through processes. And I know you do energy work as well, which is moving emotions. I love that. It's actually quite beautiful to release yeah. whatever you've been holding on to. So it's not something to be feared. It's actually something to get excited about because the freedom, the the space, the lightness that comes from letting go of something that you've just been doggedly hanging on to for so many years, often your whole life. It's just so freeing, isn't it? It is. It's incredibly freeing. And I'm kind of at the point in my journey where I'm like, ha, I'm triggered. What are we going to work through today? Like, this is a message. But it took work to get to the point where I can look at it that way and invite it in. Yeah. I love it. That's the key, inviting it in. Uh, Sonia's just waiting on the comments there. Uh, it is indeed, this is about the uh, near-death experience, I'm assuming. It's indeed more beautiful. I had a near-death experience, and it is indeed peaceful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my near-death near experience um, wasn't so much peaceful, but, but, it was, but it was like it was also one of those moments of part dream state, part reality, which yeah, I wrote about just a couple of weeks ago. But I think what it did for me was open my mind up to, oh, it's not just what we see physically. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've not had a near-death experience, but I've had two ayahuasca ceremonies. So pretty close. <laughs> one of them was very much like a death experience. They were very contrasting. One was very light and beautiful and loving, and the other was very dark and scary in a lot of ways and yet just as beautiful mm. so oh that's a whole other conversation oh, yeah. i've <laughs> into but there's some other stuff that I, that I wanted to ask so when you talked about um the the uh emotions that you were experiencing then with your dad and the real need to ask questions what what did you find out like sort of in those few weeks or months afterwards that just like had your mind just blown. I was synchronistically led to just you know they say when the student is ready the teacher will appear yeah. um, the very first I would say like spiritual um, text I read was a return to love by Marianne Williamson 
And I remember just poor, like stopping and reading parts aloud to my husband at the time, like, oh my gosh, listen to this. What if this is really how it works? <laughs> what if, and which she teaches from A Course in Miracles, and it's like, what if I'm not really upset for the reasons I think I am? What if it's, you know, all this deeper stuff? And so I really started instead of, that was the point at which instead of making everybody else responsible for how I felt and, oh, they did this to me and I'm such a victim. I was like, huh, what inside of me needs to be looked at? What am I carrying? What am I holding on to? What patterns am I exhibiting in my life? And it shifted everything for me. Wow. And that's, from my experience, that's that's exactly it. Like it's not the actual grief experience that causes the deepest pain it's all those previous grief experiences which are triggered at that moment when someone passes away or when when something happens that's that's yeah. quite confronting it's the it's the what my coach describes as grief upon grief upon grief or trauma upon trauma yeah and it just all comes flooding back and and what a gift to to realize that so soon it took me probably i'm thinking uh maybe eight years to come to that realization about the personal responsibility. Even then, I think like you mentioned the quote before, which is one from Jim Rohn when the, when the uh, student is ready, yeah. Jim Rohn used to say, I don't fully understand that, but this is what I know to be true. Whereas <laughs> was, I was like, hang on, like, tell me why, tell me why that's true. And, but then that's part of the thing, right? Is actually yeah. you learn why taking responsibility is so important because you get all your power back, right? So. Well, and I, I mean, working with people with, you know, emotional wellness and past trauma, you know, our trauma is not our fault. It is our responsibility, though, to heal what was given to us. And, you know, if we want to make the world a better place, if we want to be kinder, more compassionate, then, you know, you're like, I, I am estranged from my mother, and like my mom could never come back to me now as an adult and be the mommy I needed as a little girl, but I can remother myself. And that's a, a process that just my life experience, that's what I've been handed in this lifetime. And I've, I use it to help other people learn how to do the same thing. Um, but she could never come back and fix it. Even if she had an epiphany and an awakening and did all of her own work, that's mine to do now. And it is, I think, both the most terrifying realization of life and the most freeing, empowering, exhilarating one to realize how responsible we are for our experience in the world. I can't get over everything that you say. It's nearly word for word, the sort of stuff that I talk about. <laughs> and so, so if I think about that same experience, particularly if we talk about from from a connection with a partner, realizing that even the things where you think you've had done to you, the moment you just go, okay, I need to actually just, instead of trying to point fingers of blame, come back and take full responsibility for whatever I'm bringing to this. Mm -hmm. As you said, one of the most difficult or I can't remember the word you described, things that you need to do, but also just so freeing. Terrifying. I use the word yeah, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's against everything you've learned and every pattern you've had yeah. and everything you've had modeled to you. But the freedom of actually going, actually, I can do something about this. Yeah. Like the power in that is immense. Well, and there's the term post-traumatic growth. Like we hear post-traumatic stress disorder and all these things about, you know, what that shows up as. And But post-traumatic growth is re a real thing. We are far more resilient than we realize we are. And there's um, Gabor Mate just had last week um, the Wisdom of Trauma movie that yeah. he did. And, and he talks the wisdom in trauma is that, yes, there was this trauma, but there's gifts in it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's our job to unpack what those are. Yeah. Again, one of those things that can be terrifying, but... But when we realize the gift in our trauma, mm -hmm. it's it's a gift that no one else has because no one else has experienced that grief how we have. No one else has experienced that trauma how we have. That's exactly right. 
and yet there'll be other people that have walked a similar path and they don't know how to navigate it. And to be able to guide someone and give them all the things that you didn't have through your trauma, yeah. the feeling that it gives you, and I can feel like for you, you're getting that same sense of yeah. like that's the beauty and the, uh, is there a better feeling? I don't, I'm not sure there is. Right. It's what I live for. It's why I do what I do because yeah. I, it's like being a teacher because I, to have a master's in education and I taught elementary school for nine years. Um, I'm still teaching. I'm still guiding. I'm still helping people with just completely different subject matter. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that before we jumped on. Yeah. As well. I did an education degree. I didn't actually teach a day of paid work. I, uh, one, probably not even not even whatever it was, six weeks of practice, probably the first day of practice teaching with uh, secondary school, uh, high school. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure this is for me. <laughs> oh, I loved, I taught gifted students and I loved them. So I did yeah. enjoy my time in the classroom. <laughs> I think it was a relentless nature of their uh, uh, energy and uh, <laughs> all of those things. Um, I, actually, the thought that comes to mind now is probably just me getting bombarded with a whole lot of different emotions. So that's probably a good path for us to go down now is uh -huh. given the work you do, have you realized you talked about your daughter being highly intuitive have you realized that that's like a big part of how you operate and like how did that impact you when you were growing up in terms of that, having that overload of emotions I, I i look at it like if if we're talking about people being on the spectrum like i'm i'm on the spectrum like way off you know like an outlier in terms of taking on others emotions what impact yeah. did that have for you and and how has that helped you to to be able to help other people through that? Um, a huge impact. Um, my mom is probably um, narcissistic, borderline. She's not diagnosed, but like high in traits of both. And so I would come home from school and poke my head in the door without ever interacting and know, is this a good day to go get a snack or should I just go straight to my bedroom and do my homework? I could read the room really well, but all that oppressive just energy was also contributed very much to my experiencing anxiety and depression. Um, gosh, all through childhood, I was suicidal in high school um, and have dealt with anxiety and depression my entire life and still do at times. Like we're not happy all the time, even when you're really well regulated, even when you're, you know, your nutrition is on point, even when everything's great. Um, when you're sen a sensitive being, you just, you know, you might be taking on things from other people. And But I am very good at reading other people. I am very intuitive, um, empathic as well. And I mean, what I saw as this burden earlier in my life, like actually makes what I do possible now. I will say things in sessions like, oh, that's good. I need to write that down when the session's over. And then whoop, it's right out of my head. Like it was for that client and it got said when it needed to be. And I just trust that what is what I need to talk about or what I need to share is going to come to me in the moment. And as I've learned to trust that more and more, it's just made life so much more fun. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And it takes, there's no fear around being able to guide anyone because you know the answer will come to you. Yeah. It takes the ego out of like, man, I'm pretty good at this. It's like, I just got to listen and I'll get the answer. Like, Well, and I don't even give the answer because a lot of my coaching practice is around helping my clients realize they already know the answer. Yeah, they have the answer within them already. And the answer that I'm talking about is the question that I need to ask. Yeah, yeah. Rather, that, rather yeah. than rather than prescribing what we talked about. Um, so, in that space where you're you're highly intuitive and you're you're going through all those times, is, is there a sort of pivotal moment in in those teen years where you can still recall just being a, where you were able to make peace with it? I ask that because. Like that, I can remember the day I gave away my power and the actual, that moment where I said, mm -hmm. I'm not going to fight this anymore. Um, but I remember reading the, the medical medium and he was talking about um, 
he didn't want his gift anymore and and he was drowning and he said to god they made, made, made a pact with god if you save me i promise i will i'll uh, embrace my gift and i listened to that and just went because i was at a point where i was the same i was like the, the emotions are beginning too much and i'm like i don't want this anymore i, I don't want to do this anymore and just listened to that and just went oh yeah this is like stop fighting it it's it's an incredible gift which we all have yeah. right yeah we all have that to listen to um i did not come to that realization until much later in life um the point of peace in high school was probably my senior year i was like i'm getting the heck out of here <laughs> i'm going to college and so i'm just putting up with this until i get out of here and that was that um really coming to like understand that all of this I was feeling was actually a gift came through my daughter's healing. In so many ways, my children have saved me. Like I'm their mom, yes, but they're my biggest teachers. And my journey with them has been in so many ways, eye-opening and helpful for me. But um, Natalie's neurofeedback therapist is like, oh, her brain's really powerful. Like, I'm not quite sure I know what to do. I think you need to maybe try another avenue with her. And so we ended up with a amazing energy healer in our area. And, you know, she's um, intuitive and um, just shared all these things about Natalie and me in that session. And I was like, Oh, wow. I never looked at it that way. I was what, like 37 when this happened. And so it took me a while to get to that point. But when I shifted how I looked at it, it was so empowering. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to clarify, I didn't have that realization in my teens either. I knew oh, okay. I didn't identify when I gave it up, but that, that reading that book would have been probably four years ago. Okay. Like, yeah, it's only a, like even though I'd already started that work, it was getting to the point where it was, yeah. So can you explain, because I know this is part of the work you do, can you explain a little bit like uh, about energy healing and and would could we be so daring that you'd actually do a demonstration while we're here as well? I actually, um, I don't do a lot. When people think of energy work, they think of Reiki or there's several different modalities. And um, I, I cannot describe, I do it with words. Like when I'm with people like talking and just so demonstrating like this whole thing is kind of a demonstration for me of how I, I do it. So I have, um, I'm Ricky one certified. I went through a, um, a training with a local coach um, and an attunement technique. But I have, I mean, I do it on myself and my children and, you know, friends when they ask. But I haven't done it with a client in person in quite a while, like, you know, COVID and, and all the things. Um, but really, I do it with words. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'm going to guess that you do it with words but at the same time there's probably a certain energy that comes when you're saying those words that yeah it's hard to describe right it's it's hard with words to describe it yes and also i consider i do a lot of work with my clients around um the vagus nerve and regulating the nervous system and teaching them these um, regulation techniques, I view that as energy work as well. If everything's energy, you know, our hearts are electric, our brains are electric, our nervous systems are as well. That's like our interface with the chi or the prana or whatever name you use for it. That's where that is happening. And so teaching somebody to regulate their nervous system might sound very neurosciencey, and I'm like, I'm all about the science. I love the science behind everything. Like we could have a total metaphysical conversation and I would be all for it. Um, that's energy work to me as well. The vagus nerve is sometimes re referred to as the God nerve. And I just love looking at it that way. Mm, nice. What could you tell us about the science of some of the, so you've, you took your daughter on a, a healing journey without mainstream medicine, mm -hmm. like, could you tell, explain to the listeners, viewers, that how, how that 
worked for her, how, how you were able yeah. to, from a scientific perspective, yeah, these, these schizophrenic. Uh, well, and she, she never had an official diagnosis that was suggested that that might be what was going on with her, but there was obviously anxiety, um, depression, like all, all, all the labels that we would give people. But what that looked like was the first we started with um, her nutrition. And so we did an elimination diet. Um, and one of my mentors, she calls them psychiatric pretenders, Kelly Brogan. I coached for her for a while. Um, that there are so many biochemical processes that can show up as what we refer to as depression. Depression's really a syndrome. There's no one cause of depression. Um, so you might be vitamin B12 deficient and it manifests as depression. You might be gluten intolerant and it's causing inflammation in your body, or you might be intolerant to another food. Inflammation and depression are intimately related to each other. Um, it's actually a study where they were looking at an anti-inflammatory medication years ago, and they were using it, you know, the, the test group, and their depression decreased. And they were like, hey, wait a second, why is this happening? And there are case studies of people who have been, you know, institutionalized for mental health issues and later found out they had celiac disease. And so they went gluten free and they walked out of the hospital completely normal. And so there are so many nutritional components. Blood sugar dysregulation with my clients is one of the primary drivers of anxiety because you're up and then you're down and you're up and then you're down. And it, so you can almost be in fight or flight at a cellular level. And so there might not be anything in your world that's causing what's going on, but your body's screaming at you to pay attention. So we started with all of that. She was um, very vitamin and mineral deficient. So we got her back up where she needed to be. Um, she was gluten and dairy free for years. Um, we have in the last couple of years, because you can, with a, with a younger child, you can pretty much control what they eat all the time. But as they get older, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So she's really had to learn self-care practices around what she eats. So she will um, selectively choose to eat certain things if it's a party or a special occasion. But most of the time she chooses on her own. Um to, to eat what makes her feel the best. She's identified how she feels. Um, then we got her sleep back in line. That's a huge one. Yeah. And we did a lot of time in nature. Like as a family, we just, we've lost so much connection to the natural world. And we don't like as, as a society don't understand that we are part of nature. Like we're supposed to be with the trees and the grass with the animals. And so she's a huge animal lover. So we spend a lot of time in nature. Um, the neurofeedback, which is where we went next is it's biofeedback. It's brainwave biofeedback. And so in real time, the therapist is watching the client's brain waves. It's just little um, pads that are, stuck to the head and it's it shows up in a graphic form it looks like a video game and so the client's watching this video game and the brain gets feedback either beeps or points or the video game works or doesn't work like if it looks like pac-man pac-man quits eating the little dots and you're, it's the brain's like oh it's not doing anything and actually if you try it's more it doesn't work as well you just sit and observe and the brain is teaching itself what's right and wrong and the therapist is controlling the parameters and it little by little nudges the brain back into a um, healthy brainwave pattern when we first took her in her brain her waking attentive brainwave pattern was flip-flopped what a normal brainwave pattern was in she said it was basically like the term hairpin trigger like her brainwaves is what was causing these outbursts and because she just felt horrible in her nervous system and her brain all the time mm. oh man so much gold in that uh that's been my experience from from letting go of certain foods and food groups yeah. and the the question from people is usually Oh, why, why do that? But 
the easy answer is yeah, like you describe the daughter, yeah. you feel better. And and it's interesting now if I occasionally do the same thing, if it's a, a party or an event or have something that I don't typically have, you can definitely notice the impact that it has on your, yeah. your mental well-being the next day. It's yeah. massive. Well, and I consider nutrition kind of the gateway drug for a lot of people into spiritual development because yeah. once your body's balanced, it creates all this space in your system for you to start noticing other things coming up like your trauma mm-hmm. patterns or it, it creates this felt sense of safety within your body so that then it is more tolerable to dive into the deeper work because if your blood sugar is dysregulated and you're gluten intolerant and you've got brain fog and you just feel icky no i don't want to do shadow work that feels terrible <laughs> but if you're you know balanced and in this felt sense of i'm okay i'm being taken care of then those other things are just easier mm. i think from like the thought that comes to mind is for everyone when whenever they get to that point there's something that's just so debilitating or that they've got to that point where it's no longer just something i'm going to continue to cope with it's actually now like it's impacting my life when i think about you talked about your um the the gateway one of those for me was like um my back was giving me grief for years and then eventually lifting one of my children out of the car it just went and i ended up like mm-hmm. completely prone on the floor and it's like do something about this and then yeah. and then doing Pilates and and then getting the core strength and then realizing a whole lot of other things. And the other one that came to mind was was around food. I was getting heartburn and I had the yeah. camera down the throat and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take this, take that. Um, the, the Whatever I was given was like it took me a few days to work out, but I thought I had glandular fever again and it, and it was like, oh, no, you – it's the medication is making me feel dizzy and nauseous. And then of all people we get at work, we get an iridologist come in to read your eyes and says, Oh, you, you must have a problem with heartburn. Do you? I went, uh, yeah, this is weird. <laughs> this yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got a problem with your back. Uh, I think it's about L5. And I'm like, cause that was exactly what the, the, the x-ray had shown. I'm like, well, yeah, there's a, more like awareness of hang on. And then she just said, oh, try dropping, like, what do you eat? Try dropping wheat. And I was having, it's a, well, I don't know what you'd call it over there. Like, it's like a, a wheat biscuit, like a breakfast cereal. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and so I stopped having that. And suddenly my uh, heartburn reduced massively. And I'm like, oh, what else can I try? So, yeah, I love that. It's an well, absolute and- one of the holistic nutritional things for heartburn is to go grain free and see how that works. So that could have definitely been part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, what you said there around um, you were describing that that sitting there with the brain electrodes on and actually the more you try and effort, it's it's like it made me think of meditation when you're trying to control the thoughts and you're kind of trying to dictate where it goes and the moment you just go well let's just see where this goes suddenly everything unfolds so from that perspective like is that something you help people with around letting go of that control and being more open for for things just to unfold how they're meant to unfold oh absolutely and meeting people where they're at like you bringing up meditation Um, depending on what kind of trauma history people have sometimes like what you know transcendental meditation or just sitting still is not helpful because if you've been forcibly immobilized in the past even if you're choosing to sit still you're forcibly immobilizing yourself and for people who are hyper vigilant that can be so painful and so i do a lot of somatic meditation with people sometimes at the beginning more like body scanning or getting in touch because if you've got a trauma history and i speak from experience because i have been highly dissociative in my past but if you're dissociating you're not grounded into your body and so getting in touch with the body can be helpful 
Mm. at first. So there's so like people come and they're like, I can't meditate. I'm like, what kind are you trying to do? There's a lot of different kinds of meditation. (laughs) So we try on um, which one works and then work our way into where we're like, okay, let's release the thought. Let's just be with what comes up. I love that. There's a meditation that suits everyone. It might just Mm -hmm. what you've read. So so don't just dismiss it. Um, Tell me, tell me more about um, somatics. You mentioned that's like how you you do that sort of meditation. Like is that that what you described before is around getting more in touch with the body? Yeah. Well, anything somatic is the body getting more in touch with the body. And so I have become highly attuned to watching people's, um, facial expressions are their shoulders up or down is your eyebrow twitching are you talking with your hands as you're ta- if you're talking about something as you're talking with your hands are you like choking someone are you punching the air like what are bodies the Bessel van der Kolk's book the body keeps the score we may not remember cognitively what happened. We have explicit and implicit memory. Explicit is, oh, yeah, I was wearing a red dress and we went on a picnic and it looked like this. Implicit's the emotional memory. That's what gets locked into the body. And so you can be expressing a memory of something through your gestures, through your body language, your posture. Because our autonomic nervous system, everything that's automatic, controls our facial expressions, our tone of voice, so many things that we don't think about. It's automatic, right? Because we don't want to think about our heart beating or digesting our food. And so tuning into that with people is really helpful. Um, I know in my own process, my um, person that I work with, she's so highly attuned to her client's nervous system. She has a tell. She yawns when I dissociate or I go into freeze response. And so it was so helpful for me at first working with her because she'd yawn and I'd be like, oh, I'm doing it. I, I, <laughs> what, I wasn't aware before that I was doing it, but I'm like, oh, so I could bring myself back. And over time, I knew what I was doing and could bring myself back. Oh, that's so, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two thoughts come up. One, what have you been seeing about my body language? <laughs> it also made me think that for me, one that I am very conscious of, I used to like um, like tighten up, right? You don't want to be uh-huh. seen like the, the shy little yes. boy was trying to hide away, hoping no one notices him in case they bring something to it to attention which i couldn't cope with um but it's fascinating that plays out even when you talk you talk about talking with your hands and that sort of thing um really interesting stuff well i call their survival patterns so like this posture pattern like if you at some point had to hide had to shrink had to stay small to stay safe then you carry that with you until we realize this is not serving me anymore i like several years ago wouldn't have been able to make this video with you i was so afraid of being on camera, so afraid of like, you know, sharing my story and, and any of that, because it wasn't safe to do so when I was little, I hid all the time. Don't be seen, don't be heard. You know, there's a, there's a, at least in America, there's an old saying children should be seen and not heard from like a couple generations ago. And that was very much true. My dad used to say that. And so I learned to hide. It doesn't, serve me in my life though so i've healed through that yeah no definitely the same here and i think there's a like yeah generations of people that are ready to be heard and and they're not they're not sure how i would have been the same I, i've yeah. stumbled across some of my old videos and unless i had a script and i had it memorized i couldn't do it yeah whereas now it's like we talked about with the coaching the answer will come if you just pause for a second and breathe and even at different times through this conversation where I've lost track, I just started speaking and the question came to me as I spoke. But it's like, that. I, I don't know. I, well, that and and that, with nervous system regulation, um, Dr. Stephen Porges has the polyvagal theory. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that no. with the vagus nerve, we can get stuck in different nervous system states. And so the the safe and connected state that we're in right now, where we did we didn't talk ahead of time what we were going to talk about on this video, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what we're going to talk about. <laughs> it'll come, it'll be okay. 
feeling yeah. safe to do that is called ventral vagal. It's for um, mammals safe, social, and connected. But that needing the script and, oh, my gosh, I lost my place. And then, like, not knowing what you're going to say, that's freeze. That's a freeze response yeah. because you are. It, it doesn't feel safe. And so in our lives, like, depression is associated with that dorsal vagal state. It's immobilization. It's stuckness. It's stillness. It's like I can't, nothing I do is going to help. Whereas a sympathetic state, which is in between the two, is fight or flight. And that would be where anxiety shows up and, you know, go, go, go. And we need all three states. We go in and out of them all day long. Um, In my work, it's about helping clients become flexible with their nervous system states. And you're like, oh, gosh, I feel really stuck right now. Okay, how can I put some energy in my system to get moving again? Mm, Simplicity, right? Yeah. So the fact that we're able to sit here and have this conversation just off the cuff and things are just coming to us is just we're regulated. We're co-regulating. Mm. The, the the thing that came to mind was like the times where I get into those different, like maybe anxious or depressed sort of states, which doesn't mean I have anxiety or depression. No. It's just mm-hmm. a state mm-hmm. um, is often around how I'm feeling energetically. And that could yes. be from sleep. It yes. could be like like not having my boundaries fully in place. It could be a whole lot of different things. You mentioned sleep and how important that is. How would you help someone when that ends up, you realize that's a big part of what they need to change? How do you help them to, to find sleep when maybe that's a real challenge for them and it and it's really is having a mm. debilitating effect on yeah. their, their well-being? I am by far not a sleep expert. I have a couple friends who are sleep coaches and are like the gurus of sleep. And I love reading their, their work, but really sleep starts first thing or setting yourself up for a good night. Sleep starts first thing in the morning, exposing yourself to natural light. Um, what you eat sets your, you up hormonally throughout the day. Um, just connecting to the rhythms of nature. But, and so like, blue light you know if you can get blue light blocking glasses if you can um, give yourself a routine in the evening where you're winding down you're not checking your email or your text messages like until you're laying down in bed at night Um, i really love having my clients keep their phones as far away from the bed as possible i know so many people use it as their alarm clock to get up in the morning so turn it up really high and put it across the room if you can so you're not hitting snooze in the morning um there is sleep inertia like is that state where because we if we wake at the top of a sleep cycle then we're ready to go but if we get woken up like imagine when you've been woken up by your children in the middle of the night if one of them's had a nightmare or something and you're just stuck in this fugue state well if you hit snooze all the time you're going back into a sleep cycle and then when you come back out you're not really in a well-rested good place to come out of sleep and so it can take you a couple of hours to get yourself out of that state so if people are hitting snooze and they feel really foggy in the morning stop doing that (laughs) i I learned that the hard way that was very much i was a snoozer and and realizing that i actually felt better the times where i had to get up yeah (laughs) the phone thing's a classic isn't it oh i have to have the alarm (laughs) we ended up realizing at ikea you could get a five dollar alarm clock so we've all got these five dollar alarm clocks which aren't ideal because they beep and do all sorts of things but it's an alternative to having the phone by you which yeah yeah, it is and movement we haven't talked about movement like we're meant to move yeah we're meant to walk we're meant to with the somatics going back to the somatics too it's not just noticing somebody's you know vocal tone or their posture but like movement of any kind is somatic so there are a lot of um body work therapies craniosacral therapy a myofascial release or yoga different you know techniques that you can dancing is amazing to get in touch with your body there's just so many things that you can do to get your body into it and not working out like i'm not talking about crossfit or you know heavy weight lifting but just to get in touch with your body yeah absolutely anything that gets the heart rate up yeah. is definitely going to shift your energy um 
you mentioned before about the impact that you wanted to have. So, so what is the impact that the work that you do now, but what is the greater impact from you continuing to do this for the rest of your life? Hmm. I felt so broken for so long. I thought there was something wrong with me. Like I just, I'm a bad egg. I just came into the world and there's, this is just what it's going to be like. And I'm always going to feel this depression, this anxiety, you know, I'm not fulfilled no matter what good things are going on in my life. And I, it is my mission to help people understand that they have so much control over their, you know, gene expression, like epigenetics, we may have a genetic predisposition to anxiety and depression or to a certain disease, but epigenetics shows us that the environment we put those genes in dictates whether we, we can turn them on and off. And so it's very, um, you know, biology of belief kind of way to look at the world that we have the power to help ourselves feel better in so many different ways. We were talking about this before we even got on air about different things. Like, do you truly believe that God designed this beautiful, intelligent, like powerful body for us? It knows what it's doing. I think about childbirth. I had my, I almost had my oldest in the car. I had what's called a precipitous delivery and which means that you go from, you know, just the beginning of labor through active labor to transition and delivering in under two hours. And so I didn't do like nothing. I learned in childbirth class, nothing, no book I read, my body just took over and it was doing its own thing. I didn't, thank goodness we arrived. Had I known better, I, we would have had a home birth, <laughs> the things I would do over now if I could, yeah. but, um, yeah, I didn't need anybody to tell me what to do or I, my body knew what it was doing. Our yeah. bodies know what they're doing. And the same is true with our emotional health as well. Some of us are predisposed. We're more sensitive. Um, I, I use the phrase canary in a coal mine a lot. Are you familiar with that old yeah. phrase? They used yeah. to send canaries down into the mines to make sure the air quality was good. Yeah. And I just, I told Natalie for the longest time, I'm like, honey, you're a canary in a coal mine. You're just sensitive to things. You pick up on things that other people don't necessarily notice. You're sensitive to foods other people might not necessarily be sensitive to, but if you're sensitive to it, maybe they shouldn't be eating it either. <laughs> and I, those are like really my people in a lot of ways, the sensitive, intuitive, empathic people that have felt like, gosh, there's something wrong with me. And like, no, there's not. You have a superpower and you can feel better. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And we all have a superpower that turns up for us yeah. in some way or another uh, and to be able to give people that space. I think if everyone listening to this thinks of it this way, the very thing we've gone through ourselves, we don't want anyone else to have to go through that. And when we realize we can help other people go yeah. through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we can't prevent other people from having to go through difficult and sometimes horrible things that they go through, but to not have to do it alone. Yeah. It's like we're, we're social creatures and we're wired for connection and I that, that's really connecting to people and holding space for them as they go through difficult things is is so very important to me I love that um I had one more question that just came yeah. up and even though it's a lovely place to finish I feel like this would be a really good question for anyone who's had a, a child or maybe they were the child that, that had uh, greater needs in terms of from a mm -hmm. well-being perspective. What impact did that have on your other children having a, a child go through something like that and having having at that time needing maybe more of your attention? Um, we actually, I'm super open with my kids. We talk about so many things. We've actually talked about that because my oldest, one of her friends is like, 
she's the baby of the family. And one time she said, well, you're oldest, you get all the attention because in her family, that's what it was like. And we looked at each other, we're like, Haha, no, Natalie gets more of the attention. And so we've like done some work around that because it was kind of lonely for her that we were so focused on her sister. Um, but having those open discussions and letting them have their feelings about it and, you know, as a mom, I had to take my ego off the table, even though I knew I was doing what I needed to do. And it ended up being the best thing for her sister and our family, because um, so much changed the way we eat, the way we parent, the way we take care of ourselves, like everything changed. Um, but she, they get to have their own feelings. And so I had to just put aside any like, well, but I was doing this correctly and, and just be there with them in that and hear them in that. And we've worked through so much of it. It's actually made them closer as siblings. My three kids are incredibly close. And I really believe in part it's because of everything that we've been through as a family. Part of that just completely went black on my screen. So I don't know if oh, yeah. everyone else could hear that or not. But, um, but um, yeah, it's I love what you described, that, letting them have their feelings because there are different circumstances that get it, that thrown at life and, and just yeah. helping people to say, well, yeah, they did need that, but that doesn't mean you can't be angry or frustrated or upset or lonely or any of those things. Really powerful. And I th thinking about the work you do now, it's helping people deal with those same patterns that are showing up as adults, right? The feeling that of loneliness or, or not being able to have their emotions. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the Gabor Mate, the wisdom of trauma movie had a quote in there. It said, um, children don't get traumatized by what happens to them. Children get traumatized by being alone with what happens to them. And so if I had, just ignored that my daughter was having feelings that her sister got more attention and, you know, just bypassed that. And, Oh, it was no big deal. It wasn't that bad. That could have been traumatizing to her. But the fact that I didn't let her be alone with it and that we talked through it. Um, one parenting when I don't get them all right. I, I screw up sometimes too, <laughs> but, but that she wasn't alone with it is huge. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was just going through my phone to grab another quote from that. Uh, I think uh -huh. it might have been the, tra the trailer for that movie because yeah. I think it's really, really relevant. Uh, he says, um, if we had a trauma-informed society, we'd have a society that looks much more compassionate. And I, and I think that's the, the beauty of the work that you're doing is is being able to shine a light on it and bring awareness to to so many different people which – helps us build more compassion, more understanding. Absolutely. No one's going out of there to intentionally upset people. It's just someone who's working through trauma the only way that they know how. So, yeah. yeah. To paraphrase him again, I think he also says that he stopped asking what happened to you and started, or stopped asking what's wrong with you and started asking what happened to you and really, you know, getting to know people's stories. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those throw, throwaway lines that I'm sure many have used as parents. I know I did. What, what's wrong with you? It's like, yeah. like you hear that enough times where you start to believe it, right? So yeah. changing that language, really powerful. Erin, um, is there anything else that you'd love to share with us before we wrap this up? Uh, we've crossed so many really uh, powerful messages and stories from what yeah. you do. Is there anything else you'd love to share with the people listening? Um just that you're not broken. I, I, I tell all my clients when we start our work together, you make sense. Everything about you makes sense based on what you've been through. And you might have patterns and you might have some destructive habits and behaviors that you are engaging in. But I'm willing to bet that 99.9% .9 of the time, it's because you're trying to, we're either trying to protect yourself trying to prevent yourself from feeling a really strong, difficult emotion or go into something scary. And that makes sense. Our systems are brilliant and they're, they're based on keeping us alive and safe. And we do what we need to do in the moment to get through situations. And so 
for those of you that feel like I did for so long, that I just came into the world screwed up and there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You make sense. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed this chat, Erin. Thank you so much. I, I have to. Taking the time to come and chat with me. and um, I'll, I, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.